just going to pray and then uh, open up what the Lord's given me to share with you this morning. And let me ask you a question first. Who here is hungry for revival and for a move of the Holy Spirit? There should be something fundamental going on in our hearts of anticipation over what God is about to release. Today I'm speaking about the Holy Spirit as wind and uh, God took me through um, some scripture and then reminded me of some things that have happened over a number of years and so I want to share with you about the Holy Spirit as wind and what it means in the context of a move of the Holy Spirit and what God is going to do. So, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you've given me to share this morning. And I would just declare and decree in this atmosphere right now, Lord, that not a word falls to the ground of anything that you have given me to share. I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that these seeds that are sown of your word would find fertile ground this morning and that by the water of your Holy Spirit, these seeds would Uh, spring to life, Lord, and become a reality in our heart that our desire and our gaze would be fixed upon you. We thank you, Lord, for all the things you have done in the past. But, Lord, we look forward to what you are about to do in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me set the scene for you. Jerusalem has fallen. All the false prophets have indeed been proved false. God's judgment has fallen. The city has been destroyed. The walls have been broken down and the people have been taken into captivity in Babylon. But God's hand, I love it when I can say but after all that, but God's hand is still upon his people. The prophesied promise, especially through the prophet Jeremiah, is that there will be 70 years of captivity and then a return to Jerusalem and revival. And God doesn't stop speaking to his people during these 70 years. And one of his prophets who he uses in an extraordinary way is a man named Ezekiel. Who here has read the book of Ezekiel? Some of it reads like uh, something out of science fiction. So incredible are the visions and revelations that he gets. But Ezekiel has one of the most powerful prophetic encounters in all of Scripture that speaks into where we are today. And Ezekiel's ministry, if you had to sum his ministry up, his life's work as a prophet was to call the spiritually dead people of Judah back to life. And that is revival. There was going to come a point when God would open the door for their return to their promised land. But 70 years is a long time to contend for and believe that God is going to move. Is that right? A lot of people passed away during that 70 years. Other things happen as well that remember that they are captive in a completely pagan culture, kind of like the one we're in now. They're captive in a completely pagan culture and yet God has prospered them within that culture. In the meantime, many have become seduced by the culture around them and they have become very comfortable within that pagan culture. And they've heard the stories maybe at their father's knee or their mother's knee about what God has promised of their return to Jerusalem. But all they know about Jerusalem is that the walls are broken down, the city's destroyed and the place is desolate. Why would I want to go there? It's going to take desire. It's going to take belief. It's going to take faith and a humbling in repentance 
for them to uproot their lives and return to a land that has to be renewed, has to be restored, and has to be revived. For 70 years, it's been desolate. But first, they themselves need to be renewed, restored, and revived. It is transformed people who transform cities. And if we try and get that round the other way, we will go round and round in circles, wasting our time. In short, it's going to take in this situation nothing less than a move of God's spirit for the promise to become a reality. So God takes his prophet Ezekiel into an extraordinary supernatural encounter. And we're going to Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to see the power of God expressed as wind, the wind of the Spirit. And so in the middle of Ezekiel's prophetic ministry, God takes him out into this desert place, into this supernatural encounter, and this is what happens. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Let's just stop there for a minute. We're talking about human bones. We're talking about something that is completely dead. He is there in a completely desolate place and he is surrounded by bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very, very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. A little bit of his sense of humor creeps in there. If you're in a desert place and all there is is bones, you can bet they are dry. Anyone ever been in a dry place before? A dry place in the Lord? And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? He's walking through a valley full of dead people. To the best of my knowledge and in all of scripture, it is recorded that at this point, Ezekiel has never raised anybody from the dead. And God is speaking over an entire valley and he says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, so I answered, oh Lord God, you know, I believe he is dismayed by what he sees around him. It is natural to feel dismayed by what you see around us in our culture. It is an entirely natural response to be dismayed at what has become of Western civilization, the whole lot. But see, God's purpose is never to leave us in dismay. He always has a purpose. He always has an end goal. And so God speaks again. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, when you see Thus says the Lord God, we're talking about the God of the universe, the God of the angel armies, the God who spoke and worlds were formed. We're talking about the God who brought everything of creation into existence by what he spoke. So when he says, thus says the Lord, all of creation is listening. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Something that was dead is being brought to life. This is revival. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
We know he is the Lord because he's brought us from death. He was commanded. Ezekiel was commanded by God and in obedience to God, he responded. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. This was an incredible sight. This was thousands of people who had been dead and had been reduced to their bones, who had all of a sudden had uh, bone come together and sinews join those bones and the flesh come over it. And there they are standing and it looks really impressive. But there is no breath in there. There is no life. Now everything is prepared. Everything has been made ready for the most important step. The prophet speaks forth what God is doing and there is a supernatural response to the release of the prophetic word. And what follows is one of the most powerful prophetic declarations in all of Scripture. So in verse 9 it says, Also he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. An exceedingly great army. Not an exceedingly great community. Not an exceedingly great family. Not an exceedingly great city. Not, a great, not an exceedingly great social club. An exceedingly great army. There are no mistakes in what God does. And the fact that here he speaks of what he has raised up and revived, the way he speaks of them is no coincidence. He speaks of them as an army. And the reason he does so is that not only has that which has been dead been brought to life, that which has been brought to life has a purpose. Do you get that? If you see revival as the end goal, you're missing God's point. It's not. God is looking to raise an army of people who function as family, who function in community, who don't function as a social club for his purposes across the face of the earth. That which has been, uh, that which has been dead is brought to life. That which has been brought to life has a purpose and becomes an army. And breath here is the Hebrew word ruach. In the Hebrew, which variously means spirit, wind, and breath. And just as a little sideline here, when I read that out, also he said to me, let me let me give it to you again. Prophesy to the Ruach. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the Ruach. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four Ruach. O Ruach. And breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and Ruach came into them. This is something supernatural. It's not just oxygen. There are two purposes here, revival and unshakable purpose. A well-trained army has an unshakable purpose. 
So I thought about these things and I thought about this manifestation of the Holy Spirit as wind. Because it's not just breath and it's not just wind. It's the Spirit of the Lord empowering something that was dead to be revived. Then I began to think forward a little bit. In the natural, this prophesies Judah's return to Jerusalem. But there is a deeper work that God wants us to understand here that he is speaking to us about revival. And I thought about the ministry of the disciples before the resurrection of Jesus. If you watch series one and series two, I haven't seen all of season two, but I've seen all of season one of The Chosen, you will see all the foibles of Jesus' disciples put on display. They lacked something before the resurrection of Jesus. They operated in the authority of the name of Jesus, but they had no indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and they did not have the presence of God within them. The presence of God was outside them. When I speak on the Holy Spirit as fire next week, you'll see the difference between the fire being within you and the fire being without. But all of this changes after the resurrection in an incident in John 20 where Jesus walks through the physical wall into the room where they are meeting. And the scripture says he breathes on them. John 20, 21 to 23. So Jesus said to them again, because they were kind of freaked out because he walked through the wall, peace to you. <laughs> peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We could sit here for the next 20 minutes meditating on that statement alone from Scripture and get a slight glimpse of what God wants to do through us. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Does everybody understand that when Jesus breathed on them, he was not just imparting oxygen? Do you understand that there was a supernatural um, impartation and empowerment and indwelling that was taking place. This is the moment they became born again. This is the moment that commitment was born in them to stand despite what they were going to face. These are the same guys who all deserted him at the foot of the cross. But something happens when you get born again, when the Spirit of the Lord comes to dwell within you that is uh, an unstoppable force within you. You can run, you can hide, you can hide in the deepest, darkest depths of hell, but you cannot escape from His Spirit. And when you are born again, His Spirit dwells in you. Hallelujah. When He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was received as breath from Jesus. And then he goes on to say, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Now, these guys, let me ask you a question, all of, all of you with a Catholic background. Any of these guys priests? Are they part of the priesthood? No, they are not. He's talking to a group of disciples just like you and I and he says to them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What an awesome responsibility we have been given. And as I was looking into this, in the Septuagint, which is the earliest Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word breathe, where it says Jesus breathed on them, is used in only one place in that Greek translation of the Old Testament. In Genesis 
Genesis 2.7 says this, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. What is the significance of this? Just as Adam was released into life by the breath of God, so the new creation is released into life by the resurrected Christ breathing the Holy Spirit into you and I. The implications of this are incredible. Adam was given dominion over the earth. In this encounter, all of a sudden, the dominion of sin has been broken over your life. You are no longer under the dominion of sin because you are no, no, you're no longer under sin. You're no, no longer under the law. You are under grace. And look at the commission that comes with it. Peace to you. Peace to you. He didn't just say that to them because they were scared because he walked through the wall. It is his intention that we walk in peace. That the peace that we receive from the Holy Spirit is greater than our anxiety, our despondency, our depression, our fear, our anger, our hatred, all those human emotions that the enemy tries to use to crush us and disappoint us, bring us into a place of unbelief. You have the Prince of Peace breathing his spirit into you. And so... In Isaiah, it says of the increase and of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. The Christian life is to be one of increasing peace, no matter how much increasing war there is around you. Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What a statement. We who were dead in our sins were revived and brought to life, given a purpose. Take back the lost dominion. That which has been dead is brought to life. That which has been brought to life becomes an army. But wait, there's more. (laughs) It was the breath, the wind of the Spirit, that enabled them to respond to God. Until then, they were still spiritually dead. Now they were born again. Now they had an eternal salvation given to them. Now they had an eternal purpose entrusted to them to reconcile the world back to Jesus. They had been given all these things and God had spoken into their lives, but there was much more to come. And so now we come to the outpouring at Pentecost. The mighty rushing wind of Acts 2 released such a move of the Holy Spirit that the revival, the initial revival, lasted 30 years. We can read the book of Acts in a day. Probably we can sit there and just read it through and we're done in a day. But the the events and the people and everything, that the momentous things that happened in the book of Acts took place over a lifespan of 30 years and they all came from the same impartation, this incredible encounter with the rushing mighty wind, the breath of God in that upper room on the day of Pentecost impelled them into their destiny. And in fact, the reason you're even sitting here this morning is because Pentecost happened. And many Pentecosts have happened since then. Acts 2.2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. The Greek word for wind there is pneo, which means what? Breath. God breathed on that gathering of believers and released something extra to them. The wind of revival, the wind of the Spirit is God's breath poured out to bring life and purpose. And that purpose has never changed. 
you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that has been going on in increasing capacity from that day to this. And it's not quite over yet, but we are very close to the end. That which had been dead was brought to life in that encounter with Jesus and yet that which had been brought to life then became an army when the wind of the Holy Spirit invaded that atmosphere and they went out, they didn't care whether they were tortured, persecuted, whether they lost everything that they owned, they didn't care about anything except the one thing that mattered, the commission of Jesus that was written upon their hearts. And you can't walk in that without the Holy Spirit. Because when you try to walk that out by your own works, all you do is end up in some form of humanism where you're trying uh, to achieve something in your own strength. What God wants to do in your life, you can't do. God did for me what I could not do for myself. What makes me think I can do anything else he asked me to do? I can't do it in my own strength. It's him. <laughs> I want to personalize this. All of us here today are the fruit of past revivals. We are all the fruit of past revivals. Even if the only revival in your family history you are aware of is Pentecost, yet you've all been born since Pentecost and you're here in this church because of a revival. But I don't know if we fully understand how interconnected all these things are and how a whole bunch of revivals across the eons of history have all been linked together by the breath of God. And in John 3 verse 8, Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You don't have to understand your immediate purpose. You don't have to have a 10-point plan for the rest of your life. All you have to do is get on the altar every morning and say, God, I can't do this, but you can. We are moved by the Spirit. We are moved across time by the Spirit over years. We are moved geographically by the Spirit. Sometimes we're not aware of how all these things work together. But the Spirit must first move us, first to Him, and then wherever He wants us to be. And sometimes, perhaps even much of the time, and perhaps even most of the time, we don't understand all the paths and the highways and the byways that he takes us down. But somehow you have ended up here in this place at this time and you are part of God's eternal purpose. You have to see he has a purpose for you. You have to see that he has a purpose for you in this army. Sounding a bit like Pastor Anne Marie. <laughs> we need to be a people touched by the breath of God, first to be revived and then to be like the disciples of the book of Acts. You shall receive power. I'm at this point in preparing my message. And God began to speak to me about, about my own life. And so I want you to see I want you to see how things have worked together in the generations prior to mine for me to be standing here preaching this word. 
Because if you can hear my testimony of how I came to be here, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about my salvation testimony, you're all aware of my, my past, but how God's spirit breathed and moved and blew across generations and across continents, you're going to see something for yourself. Ever since I came back to the Lord in 1996, I have had a passion for revival. And I didn't fully understand it, except that I knew the power of personal encounter. I had a personal encounter with Jesus in the middle of my drug dealing and the most lost period of my life where I was suicidal. And this, the power of that encounter impelled me into a born-again experience and then God began to speak to me about revival and his Holy Spirit. And I've been reflecting over this and in the last week, God's really kind of brought it home to me. And I saw some things that I hadn't seen before. The fact that I am in Australia at all is because of revival. Let me explain. My mum was American. My dad was British. My dad was part of a very conservative Christian missionary family serving in Chile in South America. And my mother was... Uh, the daughter of a very conservative Baptist pastor. Generations of uh, Baptist pastors going back uh, through, the, through the generations in America, right back to the revivalist Jonathan Edwards. And they were conservative Christians who got married when they met in college. They moved to South America for a while, which is where I was born. And then they came back to the United States and everything got turned absolutely upside down. My dad had a comfortable position as the organist and choir master at a big uh, Baptist church in North Carolina, and uh, they were living their conservative Christian lives until they were invited to a revival. And there was a man called Tommy Tyson. Has anybody here heard of Tommy Tyson? No, he's not. You're thinking of Mike Tyson. This guy packed more punch, though. <laughs> There's only a few of us that have heard of him. Tommy Tyson was a contemporary of, um, uh, let's see, Francis McNutt, who was very instrumental in the charismatic renewal in the area of healing. Uh, Tom, uh, Tommy Tyson was, very, uh, was one of the guys who pioneered the whole soaking prayer movement. Um, he was associated with... Um, Who's the guy that built the tower in America? Um, uh, uh, what's his name? I should have written this down. Uh, Oral Roberts. Sorry. He was a contemporary of, of Oral Roberts, highly respected. He carried the power of God uh, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit like few of that era. And he lived in North Carolina. And he was holding this revival. When I say holding a revival, it wasn't just somebody coming in, preaching a word, and people come to the altar and they, you know, they give their lives to the Lord and stuff like that. My mother described one of his meetings like she went forward at an altar call and the woman standing next to her all of a sudden got hit by the power of the Holy Spirit and began to spin like a top at a velocity that you couldn't explain by the laws of physics. Like the power of God was profound. And so they were profoundly touched in this revival meeting. This is in revival, right? And they get, uh, they get sovereignly baptized in the Holy Spirit and they begin to hear God. And so all of a sudden, uh, they, they've received that extra impartation like in the book of Acts. And so they're praying one morning and God takes my mother to the scripture about um, how Abraham was called out of the place that he knew into a place, I will show you, says the Lord. He didn't know where he was going. And mum said to my dad, God is taking us somewhere. I think it's a place that's far away. I don't know where it is yet. Somebody tells my dad, um, there is an Anglican cathedral in Sydney, Australia. He's looking for an organist and choir master. Why don't you apply? 
And so my dad wasn't real keen on the idea. I've heard several versions of this. Who knows that a mum and dad have different versions? <laughs> but I believe this to be uh, entirely accurate that he wasn't particularly keen on the idea. So when he wrote to this very conservative Anglican cathedral, he said to them, he pointed out his qualifications, all the rest of it, and then he said to them, you should know that I am baptised in the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues. And that's going to kill the deal, right? But to his surprise, they wrote back to him and said, uh, we would like you to take the position. So now his bluff has been called, right? And so he's kind of dragging his heels. He's comfortable, right? Big church in America, big choir there. He's got, they've got this beautiful, magnificent organ in the church. He's happy as Larry. All the kids are coming up. We've got a nice house, all this stuff. But God won't leave him alone. And he and mum are talking about it one night. And, and dad, finally in frustration, says to her, Janet, it would take a Macedonian call for me to move from here to Australia. The next day he gets a letter from the dean of St Andrew's Cathedral saying, Dear Michael, this is a Macedonian call. <laughs> the letter was written before he spoke the words, but the words arrived. <laughs> Tell me how you cannot be hungry for revival when you hear about stories of God moving like this. And so they pack up, they pack up the family. We come to Sydney. We're living in this little house in Strathfield. And I'm there in the, in the choir of St Andrew's Cathedral as, the chor as one of the choristers there. And occasionally... Mum and Dad, well, uh, about two years in, I think it was, or a year in, Mum and Dad met Pastors Donna Minter Baker, who a lot of you uh, know. And uh, Donna Minter Baker had started a church in the garage of their home. And uh, Minter, who can't play the organ, was playing the organ. Because <laughs> there's nobody else to do it. Is that right, Daniel? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and... Uh, but all of a sudden, the charismatic renewal, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of the 60s and 70s began to hit Australia and it hit their church in profound ways. And people would come from every single denomination to this church to experience the power of God. So here I am, choir boy in a nice outfit. If you look it up on Facebook, you'll find a photo. I looked a lot more innocent then than I do now. And one morning, mum and dad say, we're going to go to Calvary Chapel this morning because dad's, uh, dad's off this, this weekend, so we're going to go to Calvary Chapel. And so we go into this little church, this tiny church in Greenacre, and when I walked in, <sighs> hits me now to even think about it. All I see is a sea of hands in the air and there is an atmosphere in that place that is just not from this planet. It was incredible. People came from everywhere to be part of this thing. And so something was lodged deep within me. And the reason that I'm sharing this with you now is because it's a key part of my testimony later on. Remember I talk about it's the wind of the Spirit that determines where we go and what happens and across continents, across generations, all these things. There are things that have happened in your life in the past that are going to have a bearing on your future when God reminds them of you. And so a couple of years later, it's 1971, I'm 13 or 14 years of age, and, mom's, and I'm starting to act out because things that happened in my life, I was molested by a person uh, of authority in uh, a prominent denomination and my life began to be derailed and my parents could see there was something wrong with me but they didn't know why. So they sent me off to a Calvary Chapel youth camp and this Calvary Chapel youth camp was just like a second revival was going on and they had this little chapel out at this place called Elam, I think it was called and uh, all the youth would get in there night after night and then this guy came and preached and I was the guy in the back of the church like this. Oh, what is this rubbish? Typical, right? 
resisting God. And this guy starts preaching, starts preaching about sin, starts preaching about the love of God. And I'm sitting back there and I'm going, I don't care what he says. I'm not, no, this is not for me. And he makes an altar call. He says, if you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want you to come down the front right now. I don't want you to wait. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, nah, this is not for me. And next thing I know, I find myself down the front of the church speaking in tongues. The wind was blowing again. And the wind blew through me that night. But I had embraced a spirit of rebellion and a hatred for God and a hatred for the church because of what had happened to me. And so a couple of days later, I turned my back on God and I went into full-on rebellion. And I destroyed my life in the process, absolutely wrecked it. 21 years of running as hard as I could from God. Heroin, cocaine, marijuana, downers, uppers, alcohol, sex, gambling, you name it, I was there. That story I think I've said before, when somebody asks a drug addict, what's your favourite, what's your, what's your drug of choice? Mine was whatever you got. What do you got? Because if I didn't have anything, I wanted something to fill the empty cavern inside me and nothing would do it. Jesus. <laughs> We're coming to that. I had three fatal overdoses. I've touched on this, so I feel like I have a responsibility to explain it a little bit more. I had three fatal overdoses. One of them I described a week ago or I think last week about uh, dead in, on the floor of a hooker's hotel room in King's Cross when King's Cross was the drug capital of Sydney, dead for 12 minutes but brought back to life, not so much by the paramedics but by the power of God because my mother had dedicated me to him when I was a baby. The second one uh, years later in Perth where uh, I was gone for a long time and it took me a couple of days to come out of it and a third one where I should have been dead and I was actually out by myself in my own apartment for 12 hours. And uh, the mercy of God, man. Um, in those 21 years away from God, I ruined every relationship I had with my family or with anybody else, my career opportunities, uh, the things that I was talented at, gifted at, I squandered. I was the, the, the classic prodigal. I was swimming around with the pigs, eating whatever they ate. But I want to give you how I came back to God in the context of revival. Because so far we've touched on two, right? Tommy Tyson. Revival as it hit here. Who here is aware of the January 1994 Toronto uh, revival, right? Very, very powerful move of God. So there was some, um, there was some pastors here. Uh, one of them was an Anglican minister called John Davies. Um, who went across to that revival and Randy Clark had got the revelation that you could impart this revival and people could carry the revival elsewhere. So these pastors went to the Toronto revival and they picked up, they had imparted to them some of the glory of God that was on those meetings and they brought them back here. Now, in the meantime, I'm going through a transition in my life and I was moving, I was in between moving between two houses. And so for a few weeks, I moved back in with mum and uh, my stepdad, Errol. Anyway, I'm at home one Saturday afternoon. I'm watching the football and I'm vaguely aware in the back of my mind that they've gone to some Christian meeting somewhere. <laughs> some Christian, you know. Just as mocking as it, <laughs> as it sounds. And uh, they come home about five o'clock in the afternoon and they are beaming. They are lit up. They are absolutely lit up as if, as if their faces were 10,000 watt halogen bulbs. And they were giggling when they walked in the door. 
They were chortling, they were giggling. Like, oh, hi, John, how are you? <laughs> I'm like, what happened to you? Oh, we were at this meeting. Do you want us to tell you about? No. I want you to see the fruit of Toronto through them to me because something changed in my mother. It's a good thing she's not here because she'll give you a different version, but mine's the truth. (laughs) See, for years I was used to my mother speaking to me about Christianity and laying a guilt trip on me. Trust me, I knew how bad I was. I don't need your help. Don't need, oh, I need your help, but I don't need your help reminding me. And uh, in the meantime, I'm playing in this band, and the band's just recorded an EP, and I was really proud of it. Um, I'm not so proud of it today. Anyway, if you, if you imagine a cross for those musicians in there, if you imagine a cross between Jimi Hendrix and the Stone Temple Pilots, that's kind of the two influences that were coming together in that particular band. And we recorded this original song that I wrote with the, with the lead singer, and the song was called I Get High, right? So um, anyway, I don't know whether I just wanted to aggravate my mum or whatever, but one morning I came home and I had this EP and I said, Mum, we were in the studio the other day and we just finished you know, pressing this disc and everything. Do you want to hear this song by my band? <laughs> right? And there must have been something in me that I'm going to get her. I'm going to, you know, she's going to hate this. And so I put the thing on, I cranked the stereo up just like she doesn't like it. And uh, this song is, I get high. And anyway, and she's sitting there and she's tapping her foot. And she's got this little smile on her face. (laughs) You had to know my mother before Toronto to understand what I'm talking about. Don't get me wrong. She's a beautiful, beautiful woman of God, but she was a little different to what she was. And then so the, the song fades away at the end and I'm looking at her like a stunned mullet and she goes, you know, John, she's still got a little bit of that North Carolina accent. You know, John, I think that's the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> and then they started saying, stay, saying things to me, innocuous things, but they would cut me to the bone. Like, so I'm in this band and I'm into the whole rock and roll trip and I got this tattoo of a Fender Stratocaster on my shoulder with a snake wrapped around it. I thought that was really cool. Anyway, they had a swimming pool in the backyard and I'm having a swim and Errol sees the tattoo and he goes, oh, John, you got a new tattoo. And I go, yeah, 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 it's, a, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a, my guitar with a, with a snake wrapped around. He goes, oh, well, you know, just don't be like that. <laughs> but he had this innocuous way of saying things. But the, when the Holy Spirit is blowing through your life, something comes upon your words that it's supernaturally empowered. I was scared to go home because of the things that they were saying to me. And it was nothing. Like if they could offer me a cup of coffee and I'd start feeling guilty. (laughs) And then a year later, I'm sitting at home in my little apartment in Summer Hill and I'm dealing all this pot, right? And, like, I'm a drug dealer. I'm playing in a band. I'm a drug dealer. Um, my, my friends think I've got it made because of the lifestyle that I'm living. I've managed to stay away from heroin and cocaine for a while because a year before I, I slipped back into addiction and that's when I had the overdose that should have done me for, for good because I was by myself. And so here I am justifying my drug dealing to myself, even though I knew that marijuana was the doorway to heavier addictions and things like that. And um, I'm, I'm in this terrible, empty place in my life, and God just chooses this moment seemingly at random to invade my apartment with his presence and talk to me about everything that's ever happened in my life and shows me a way out. 
And so I wrestle with this because remember, I'm the guy that embraced rebellion, right? So I wrestle with this for a couple of weeks until a Christian friend of mine and me are on the back veranda of his porch knocking back all these beers. I think he's stopped doing that since then. Um, and he's, but I just started sharing with him what I was going through and, and I was expecting him to say, well, you know, John, those things are in your past and blah, 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 blah. But he just looked me in the eye and he said, John, you need to get your heart right with God because only God can fix what's wrong with you. I was, like, I was like, I went from drunk to sober like that. And I went home and wrestled with all this and uh, I gave my life to the Lord. And when I did it, I meant it. And I had an encounter with Jesus when I was about to get up and storm out of my parents' house because I did it in front of my parents. I began to confess all the sins of my life. And I don't know how they kept a straight face because some of it was pretty horrific. But uh, at the end of it, I felt worse than I did when I started confessing the sin. I thought, wow, man, God doesn't even want me. I'm out of here. And I was about to get up out of my seat and walk out. And Jesus spoke to me and said, peace be still. And a miracle is not that he spoke to me. It's what happened when he did. Because for the first time in 21 years, I knew what it was like to be at peace in my heart. It was the most tremendous moment of my entire life and it was all birthed out of revival. And so I got saved and I thought, oh no, that means I've got to go to church. We have some interesting paths, do we not? Oh no, I've got to go to church. Anyone ever felt like that? Oh, this is not an altar call. <laughs> and uh, I, know, I knew without naming anything, I knew where I didn't want to go, <laughs> right? And I didn't know of anything where I would like to be. And so one night I go to bed and I wake up in the morning and I wake up in a vision and I'm back at the moment when I'm about 11 years of age walking into Calvary Chapel and the atmosphere in that place because it was revival. And somehow the winds of revival blew from 1971 or whenever that was all the way down through the years to 1996 and brought me out of my sleep into a vision of the place that God wanted me to go to be healed and restored and delivered. And so I walked into that church for the first time and it was so alien to me. It was also the, 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 the presence of God was so strong in that place. You couldn't worship without getting delivered. There's something profound that, that happened in my heart and it was revival. And so uh, I began to read. And study, and I began to read about revival. I've got something like 4,000 books on my Kindle, on my iPad, and a huge percentage of them are about revival because I read about these things and it makes me hungry to see what he's done before, done here. There is a scripture in Psalm 48.8 that says, As we have heard, so we have seen. I'm sick of hearing about revival. I want to see it. You know what I mean. I'm not sick of hearing about revival. It's my favourite topic. I'm sick of hearing about revival without experiencing it. And, in, uh, and so things went on and, you know, everybody in our Christian Walk, we all have our ups and downs. We go through seasons where we feel like God is a million miles away. And then we've got uh, seasons where we feel like he's right there in front of us. And we go through all our ups and downs and everything. And in 2007 or 2008, I was in one of those periods where I felt like I just wasn't going anywhere. And one time I'm, 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 sitting, in the, uh, I'm sitting at home uh, when we lived in Belmont Road in Glenfield. And Kerry says, hey... You should come and have a look at this. There's this thing going on in Lakeland in, in uh, Florida. And so they were live streaming 
these revival meetings in this church um, in Lakeland. And uh, so I come into, the, you know, come into that room, uh, the, the, the little home office in our home, and the computer's going, the computer speakers are going, and I walk into the room and something begins to hit me just as I'm walking in the room and I sit down in front of the computer and what I see is a church that probably hits, sits about 500 people and every single person in that church is on their face repenting before the Lord. It is incredible. And I sit there and I've been sitting there for two seconds and I just this flood of tears just bursts out and within a couple of weeks I'm on the plane to go over there. Now that revival ended in disaster. That's the Todd Bentley revival. You know, the guy that everyone loves to write off, right? But God used him. God used him. And what God did for me in that revival was a week in those meetings, just day after day after day, just encountering the power of God over and over and over and over again. And uh, he began to release the prophetic to me. He began to release a healing anointing to me. God just, just met me at my point of hunger and began to birth things in me. I came back from uh, that revival and Minter Baker was doing a thing in, in Tamworth, a little, uh, a, a, a little series of meetings with a, a pastor up there. And, um, and the first time I, um, I just got back and... Um, this is the first time that God ever used me in healing, and it was Rose, Rose Shalala. She was there in that meeting, and uh, Minta says at the close of this meeting, she says, John, you've just been up in, you've just been in that revival in Lakeland. I was doing the worship for this thing. And, and uh, Minta says, you've been up in that revival in, in, in Lakeland. Why don't you start praying for people? And Rose had a problem with her wrist. I remember it clear as yesterday. I prayed for her, and she was healed. I was like, Wow. And so, how many revivals is that we're up to? Four? See, across the years, God has re released revival in different places. And then he's, by the breath of his spirit in you and I, he moves us to different places because he wants us to play a role in what he does in revival you're here hearing this message because God has a purpose in revival for you. And if there is a bigger shortcut than revival to what God wants to do in your life, I don't know what it is. Because in revival, in that atmosphere of revival, things are just sovereignly stripped off you. Healing comes, deliverance comes. You can wear yourself out praying for people for 20 years or you can have God sovereignly touch them in worship in a meeting and every stronghold around them melts in the glory. Is that not what we want? All of these things have created in me a passion for revival. I believe with all my heart at the end of 2014, God spoke a word to me about revival here. And here we are seven years later and I haven't seen it yet. Am I going to blame myself? Am I going to come up with formulas for prayer, for worship, for how we do our services? Do you know how many different ways the Holy Spirit has moved to bring revival? Every single revival is different to the one that came before. I know that God has purposed revival for this place. And in preparing this message about the wind of the Spirit, God moved on my heart last night that I need to make a prophetic declaration over Open Heaven Church. And this prophetic declaration has never been made before, as far as I'm aware. In all the time that I've been pastoring this church, I'm going to prophesy over us as Ezekiel did over the Valley of Dry Bones. And I believe 
that whether it's today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, or next decade, and I think it's going to be that long because it's so close I can taste it, God is going to pour out his spirit in this place. And all our preparations will be for nothing because he's just going to. That's not true. It's not like they're not. It's not like they're for nothing. God wants to do a profound work in every one of our lives, and He's been Amen. doing it. He is doing it now. He'll do it in the future, whether revival comes or not. But revival is the circuit circuit breaker that releases transformation. Can I get the worship team up? And maybe, Irene, you can work with Seller to choose which song we're going to do and the key and everything. Ezekiel 37, 9 to 10. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Can we all stand this morning? Actually, let me correct that. Can you all sit for a moment? I'm not getting Catholic on you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to prophesy. And as the Holy Spirit moves on you, I want you to stand. Holy Spirit, my first declaration is that we need you. That we live in a culture that is entirely consisting of dry bones and yet they think there is life in those dry bones. But more than that, Lord, we are in a church that needs a fresh ruach of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we have a desire in our hearts that is birthed by your Holy Spirit to contend for that which you have already promised us, Lord, a move of your Holy Spirit, a movement that does not stop moving, Lord. We would declare to you, Lord, that in comparison to what you want to do in us, we are but as a valley of dry bones and we desire your supernatural life to come into us in a way that transforms us and that releases the power of God such as we have never seen before. This is the cry of our hearts, Lord that can be satisfied with nothing less than an outpouring of the breath, the mighty breath of God in this place. Yes, 
Holy Spirit, would you begin to move upon our hearts? Would you begin to birth in us a fresh hunger and desire to have the Ruach of God blow over us, blow through us, raise us up and turn us into a mighty army of the Lord who carry your presence and power and purpose. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? And so I prophesy to the dry bones that are part of everybody's life in our church. I prophesy them I prophesy to them now and I see those dry bones coming together. I see it in the Spirit. I see the sinews being formed and the flesh being formed and the blood begin to form within that flesh. I see the muscle growing. I see, Father God, that people begin to rise up and stand upon their feet an exceedingly great army. And as they do, Lord, I prophesy to the breath. I prophesy to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath came into them and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. If you are responding to this and the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart, I want you to stand as they did as a prophetic act that every dry bone, every dry bone, Every dry bone, hear the word of the Lord. You shall live in the name of Jesus. You shall live in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, pour out your wind, fire, oil and water throughout this place. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we call out to our Father God and ask you to send what you have promised. In Jesus' name. Let's worship, church.